This is Josh Mills. And this is John Mills. Welcome back to another episode of Acquired Tastings. We are very, very happy to have you guys here with us this week on Dad's last week before he runs off to Italy. Well, flies off. Well, <laughs> of course. You get the literal man over there has got right. to use, can't, can't run with the idiom, but right. he's running off. We're running off to Italy for a, basically a month. I mean, pretty close. Hey, you and mom don't really have a return plan yet, do you? Not exactly, but there is a plan. There's a possibility of a plan. Well, right, <laughs> right. So you know, I mean, I, I'm very, I'm very excited for you guys to go to What's Italy. What's the best day to get on the airplane and get the best seat? Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the thing. Yeah, or do I want to spend more time here or not? Or is there somewhere else we th- we may want to go before we leave? Yeah. So it's exciting, and this week we're kick, we're sending you off in style with a wine week. And we chose to do Italian wines this week as you're heading off to Italy. So, Dad, what is your wine and what are your snacks this week? I have Protatore del Barbaresco as my wine. And then I have sautéed portobello steak-type uh, mushrooms. And then I did some braised lamb chop and blue cheese and i have blue cheese stuffed olives as well is so it a, i ended up with four that's okay they kind of go together is it a gorgonzola blue cheese or is it like a danish or some it's a danish it's okay. a danish so it's a danish blue cheese yeah cool i yeah. couldn't find italian yeah you, gorgonzola sometimes can be hard to find right and this week i'm going to be doing the tinto salvo narini rosso de Montalcino. So I wasn't able to find a Brunello de Montalcino or the Brunello de Montalcino I wanted to buy because I have a little steal. Trader Joe's has like a Brunello that they sell for $25, which is ridiculously cheap for Brunellos. Yeah. Uh, but they were out of stock on it, of course. So I got this uh, Rosso de Montalcino, which is about the same price. Oh, okay. And I'm very excited. My snacks this week are I have some bersola, which is, we've talked about, an Italian mm-hmm. dry air-cured beef. I have some duck ham. I have... So, so the duck is back in the, the house. The duck is back in the house because I went to ham to see kind of what they had. And I got the bersola from them, got the duck ham from them. And then they had these, um, they called them a pizza party sausages that they made that's got pepperoni and some mozzarella cheese and some um, hmm. super dried tomato. In a sausage, so that's really good. And then I have some pull-apart bread with cheese that has mozzarella, emmentaler, and brie. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be pretty delicious. We got some full meals here. Yeah. Well, last week we had, a great, we had a great time having Italian cocktails, and I hope you get to try some while you're over there, especially the Bellini. I know you'll have, well, have to Well, I asked Joanne later if, if we are going to go to Harry's, and she said, absolutely. <laughs> so that one will definitely be had. <laughs> As you're going through Italy. Uh, but the week before, we did a beer, and I... We did. No, we did liquor. We did liquor. We did liquor, and you blinded me on a liquor. I did. It was, it was crystal clear. Mm-hmm. It was sweet, mm-hmm. and it had remnants of, like, blood orange, so mm-hmm. I called it a Salerno, mm-hmm. which is an Italian liquor, surprisingly. Right. So, mm-hmm. Dad, how did I do? Ding, 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 ding. You All got right. it 100% correct. Salerno. <laughs> All right. So... I'm, I think I may have only missed like one liquor the entire. Well, you do better liquors. on liquors than wine. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's easier because I I know your stock most of the time. Yeah, 
But all right, well, we're going to actually, this week we're actually going to start with dads and we'll talk about uh, why as we're going through. I'm doing the Portatore del Barbaresco and it's 14.5% ABV. So it's one of those that uh, you could easily, <laughs> you know, I always laugh about because, oh, can you get drunk on this? Well, yeah, <laughs> yes. 14.5%. And then I did saute portobello uh, steak type mushrooms and i did the braised lamb chops and the blue cheese with the stuffed blue cheese all so this is the and check check my pronunciation josh this is the nebulero nebbiolo nebbiolo great and it's been around since like the 1200s yeah nebbiolo nebbiolo is really good i really really like this wine it's a uh thick skin Thin. Thin? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, and they say here that it probably came from the Italian word for fog. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's the area that it's located in, typically. Yeah, Barbaresco and Barolo have a lot of fog that hang around. And so that's why it's able to kind of do so well is that fog. Okay, okay. So the grape that grows in the fog. So before 1894, this grape, was sold to make Barolo wine, mm-hmm. which I'm sure would have you had any of those? I'm sure that has to be good. Oh yeah, Barolos are great. So Barolo and Barbaresco, they kind of talk about in. We have to feminize and masculinize everything. They talk about them in kind of a feminine and masculine form. Mm-hmm. Say Barolo is a little bit bigger and stronger and more bold, so it's kind of the oh, okay. it's the male, and then Barbaresco is a little bit more light. And elegant, so they consider them like the female version of Nebbiolo. Okay, but in in 1894, and here's another word I'm going to destroy. But he was the headmaster. I'll just say the headmaster of the Royal Philologist School of Alba and the Barbaresco residence. So that's the town as well. Yeah, Barbaresco. He he created the first co-op. Now, I was surprised to know this. I didn't realize this wine was made as a co-op. So there's like nine crews. Oh, the producers. So Prodatori would be yeah. the, the the producers of Dells right. of yeah. Barbaresco. Yeah, we're learning our Italian right here. There we go, breaking it <laughs> apart. <laughs> so, but this, this canteen society was closed in the 1980s because of the fascist economical rules but then they reopened it in 1958 the priest of the village made sure that it was recognized that the only way the small properties could survive was to join in on these efforts so that's that's really kind of neat we don't see that very often no and so italy one thing about italy that i'm that when you go to study italy is Everything is extremely lo- A lot of things are extremely localized. So we were talking about this last night when we were talking about the Medici's and it kind of came up in my studies mm-hmm. <clears throat> is, you know, Italy didn't become a unified country until the 1860s. So like, I think it was 1861. I think, uh, where's it? yeah, 1861 was when Italy unified as a singular country. Before that, they were a bunch of 
like country states that mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. kind of together. You know, it's, it was known as the Holy Roman Empire for a while, mm-hmm. for, for a long time. And so, you know, a lot of Italy's, Italy's laws are really focused in the regions mm-hmm. or in, this, in, the, in Alba is the region where Barbaresco and Barolo are. So that's why it was, you know, the University of Alba and the and he kind of focused in on their laws and trying and said, hey, we need to be able to do this for us to survive. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was, you know, after the priest said, let's do this, we got to do this. They made the wine in the church basement. <laughs> so it, it uh, maybe they made some for the. For the church as well. Well, they usually. Yeah, typical. But uh, they made the first three vintages in that basement, and it's it's uh, been making wine ever since. Yeah, I'm sure they, they tithe. I'm sure they, they tithe their wine mm, to the church. Yep. And, you know, Italy, like France and a lot of Europe, has that tradition of, you know, winemaking in the church being, or the church, when I say the church, I mean the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Being the co- being commingled together because you know some of the expansion. I mean, we talk about Rome, and you know the Vatican sits inside of Rome as its own country, and so there's a lot of influence there. Whereas you know you can see in your story that a man of the cloth had a lot of influence over the lawmakers of the region. Yeah. So have you? Uh... I've tasted this, so I've I'm very familiar with this wine. Uh-huh. This is one of my go-to grabs for Nebbiolo. Okay. You know, it sits it sits around the forty, it sits somewhere between the thirty-five, depending on your wine day, and forty-eight dollar range. Yeah, it was like forty-eight dollars on the sticker, and we got it for Wine Wednesday. Right, so you get your twenty percent off. Yeah, it's, and that's and that's typical for for a good Barolo and Barbaresco at most stores. There are some places who, you know, can buy a little cheaper. Trader Joe's has some really good mm. Nebbiolos that are hanging around. But I'm very familiar. With them. This was probably one of the first uh, Barolos or Barbarescos that I was ever introduced to. Oh, okay. And it's light. It's, you know, it's it's a, the color of it is very reminiscent, reminiscent of Pinot Noir. Yeah. Light. It's a bright red. Um, this one doesn't have a whole lot of age on it, but we're getting there. This is a 2017, so we're Correct. Lo- mm-hmm. we're looking at five five years since since harvest. And there's a little bit of color change, a little bit of possible color change as you're looking out toward the rim, but it's still mostly going out to a watery meniscus. Mm-hmm. So the two wines we have today are both ones that love age. Mm-hmm. They love to just sit around and not do much for a while. The tannins on these are both really high. Nebbiolo mm-hmm. is known as a very tannic grape. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say tar and roses is Nebbiolo's characteristic. Uh, this has that kind of really floral, bright, rosy flavor or smell, and then kind of really grippy tannins. And when I say grippy, it's like it pulls at your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a wine that you definitely want to chew on, and it does, like all Italian wine, it does very, very well with food. Yeah. So I tried the blue cheese. Mm-hmm. Have you tried it? I have not yet. I've just been sipping on the wine while you didn't tell the story. 
well, you've been talking too, but uh, the blue cheese and, and this wine go very well together. And even though it's Danish blue cheese and Italian wine. Right. Um, I don't, this is not extremely funky blue cheese. I don't know what would happen if it was like, what's the, what's the real funky one with the, with the ash in the middle? Oh, the Humboldt Fog? Yeah, the Humboldt Fog. I'm not sure. I think that would go well with it. It does. Yeah. <laughs> it does. You've tried it. Yeah, huh? it does because that, so tannins dry your mouth and acid wets your mouth. Right. So the, the acidity of that cheese helps to refresh and that funky earthiness adds a dimension for a earthy fruit forward wine like this that just, it matches really, really well. Very good blue cheese. So this isn't as funky like you said. Right. A lot of Danish blue cheese can be white blue. Yeah, when I bought it, I looked at it and said, okay, this will work. <laughs> yeah. Because it wasn't just all blue. Danish blue cheese is kind of kind of sits in the middle between like a gorgonzola and a stilton. Mm-hmm. Stiltons are very funky. But the wine holds up to it. But it, it kind of actually, well, it kind of thins out the wine a little bit. Gives you a lot of the more fruit, fruit tones, and leaves that funky, the funky blueness of the cheese. Mm-hmm. Doesn't like clear it out. You said chew this wine, well, yeah. but it it's not a dense. You know, some cabs <laughs> and some merlots um, nope. are really um, the texture is heavy on your palate, right? And this one's not, but it's got a lot of that. That red fruit notes. There is some spice. Mm-hmm. There could be some uh, leather, tar, or nice, maybe, kind yeah. of down in there. Well, so are you going to talk about the production of this, like with its barreling and everything? Do you have any notes on that? I don't right now, but I could probably find them. So you probably know about it. So Barolo or Nebbiolo grapes are very tannic so like very tannic and tannic if you've ever heard of something being astringent or if you understand what that means that's what we're talking about when stuff is tannic it's very astringent very drying mm-hmm. it's uh sometimes it, it can even feel like powdery like after mm-hmm. you swallow like you've still got like a residue in your mouth mm-hmm. and that's the tannins and so what they do is they let this sit in oak for a while Oak softens tannins, and so does thyme. So usually they, a lot of times, depending on, depending on your winemaker up there, is they'll put them in very large, what are called barriques. And then we're talking like 255 liter barriques. So we're talking big, big barrels. Oh, yeah, that's big. <clears throat> that, are neutral, that are neutral oak at this point. And so they just kind of sit there and mellow. And usually for a long, long time. And it's kind of contentious up there when it comes to the use of new French oak. But mm-hmm. what that does is in new French oak imparts flavor and it helps to soften those tannins faster. Oh, okay. So now would this be a, a candidate for carbonic maceration? No. No. Well, we talk Definitely about high not. tannins and, you know, the carbonic maceration lowers the tannin level. Well, it's, but it's usually used on lower tannin tannic grapes the okay 
though just this grape in particular would not work. Right. It's not something that you would want to use the carbonic Plus, process it's not in. as fruit forward as some of those that we had on that episode. Right. Well, and that's also part of the carbon- carbonic process that mm-hmm. makes it a little bit more uh, fruit forward. But no, you want to let it sit and sue and simmer. And a lot of times with higher-end Brolos and Barbarescos, you know, they'll sit in oak for a while and then they'll sit in bottle for years before they're even released. So that's why you'll find a higher price price point on these is because it takes longer to get to production most of the time. But like I was saying, it's kind of contentious where there are some younger younger winemakers who are starting to take over and starting to use French oak to aid in that process for them to get to the bottle quicker so they can still mellow it in the bottle and get it to market faster. That's right. Now, these grapes are like a purple color. They're, at least I'm looking at a picture and that's what it shows. You know, the aroma is also a predominant feature. What do you, are you getting the roses and Mm -hmm. the tar aroma? Mm Mm-hmm. But... I don't really, I get the roses, but I think there's other fruits that you might smell down in there. Oh, yeah. it's de- There's definitely, like you said, there's definitely red fruit. There's definitely red cherry, some raspberry that's under there. But earth and non-fruits are definitely, definitely drive this wine. Now, when we talk about tar, mm-hmm. we're kind of talking about like freshly paved road or freshly asphalted road. Yes, that smell. And But this one actually doesn't have it a whole bunch. And so that's kind of what they talk about with, you know, being a little bit more jumpy with Barolos versus Barbaresco sometimes. Now, this is a extreme generalization because mm-hmm. you can find softer Barolos and more firm Barbarescos. Now, last night we had a we had a Nebbiolo. That was not really classified mm-hmm. as a Barolo or a Barbaresco. So in the Alba region, you will be able to find Nebbiolos that aren't from these regions, which come across, you know, at that 25 to $30 range. And they're still really good. A lot of times you'll see uh, well, where well, that looks like Liege. What happened? Liege. Joanne went to the liquor store for me, and she had that whole list that Seth Barlow had put together. Right. Our local wine writer, two weeks, the two weeks previous to us recording this, has written about Barolo because he loves Nebbiolo, or he wrote about Nebbiolo because he loves Nebbiolo grape. So there were like five or six different wines that he had chose. Fortunate for me, I said, Joanne, this is the one I want. It's the only one she found at the liquor store of his list. Oh, man, just sold them. Well, I didn't hear what had happened, but, you know, we've talked about this a number of times. And then you were talking about the wine we had last night. So the person that was helping you, Joanne, at the liquor store, you know, he's, he, he said, oh, yeah, that's a good one, this one that, we, that we're having right now. And then he said, you might want to try this one, and I forget the name of it, if it's not over your budget. Mm-hmm. Well, it was like $70 on the sticker. Was it the Vietti? I think so. Yeah. Vietti, Vietti is a well-known brand, uh, but it is higher price. It's kind of like the Pio Cesare, okay. which was on that list as well. 
Was yeah. at about eighty dollars. Well, and then he, he she kind of grimaced, and he got it. He got it because we, he's helped us a lot, and it's like we've gone back to the story of you know know your liquor story store guy, right? Because <laughs> they can help you out. And then he pointed her to the wine that you described that we had last night, and she bought two bottles of that. <laughs> yeah, I think we drank both of them last night. Uh, no, there was only one of them. Oh. I think you may have drank drank one before last night. Maybe. Or maybe it's the blind. I'm not sure. I don't know. So, Dad, tell us about how you did these mushrooms. So, it's a simple saute of mushrooms. You put a little bit of butter and a little bit of olive oil because you want a, a little higher temperature than butter would allow by itself. And then I didn't use any salt but i used a little garlic salt and maybe that's what you're tasting or maybe maybe not and then a little bit of pepper and then a little red wine and kind of reduce it till these these uh got tender and ready. yeah because they have a really good flavor but they're not really super earthy like i was expecting the mushroom to be so they have that good kind of like meaty texture which goes really well with Nebbiolo. And myself, Seth, and some of our other wine people that we know really think that Nebbiolo makes a better steak wine than Cabernet. It could. And what it is is so fat, fat's viscous, fat is, mm-hmm. fat is, has that like coating ability. And to kind of pair with that, the opposite of that is something that's dry, mm-hmm. that's drying. In the tannin, a tannic wine like a Barolo or Barbaresco give you that, has that opposite effect, whereas some big Cabernets don't because right. they're very fruit forward. But also the, the taste in this go really well with meat. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's kind of, you know, we're talking about farm areas up there. Well, and that's why I did, you know, one of the first thing I Googled, what goes with this wine, braised meat. First yeah. thing came up. Braised meat. So, have you had the lamb yet? I haven't. Have you? No, I'm I'm just enjoying, enjoying this wine. It. Like, you so, know, this wine does better with food, but it's also a very, it's an easy wine to drink. Right. If you're okay with that t- that little bit of extra tannin. Right. Just, you know, no, you're going to have fuzzy teeth. No big deal. <laughs> Yeah, have some the snack. So, you know, I got the little uh, lamb chops. These like the lamb T-bones. T-bones, right. I said chop. Anyway, the lamb T-bones. And so what? the way you cook it is, you know, you start out with your olive oil and butter and you saute some. I use shallots because I like that flavor. And, and carrots. And then some garlic. So you you cook, you braise that, you sear that meat good. And then you get that liquid in there and give it your vegetables, a little beef broth, mm-hmm. and then tomato sauce and tomato paste. And actually you cook that for a little while, get it up to boil, and then put it in the oven for an hour and a half to two hours. Did you put any wine in this? Uh, get into that. Then you take it out of the oven when you got that ready. 
the meat's good and hot, probably falling off the bone a little bit. And then you put like a cup of wine in there. And then stew it for a little bit longer. Yeah, and then oh, well you keep you keep your woo. you keep your T bones out and then you reduce <clears throat> that wine, you know, you simmer that for about ten minutes. Yeah. To reduce it down. And then you put them back in. And then you put them back in. Oh, that's so what'd you get? Good. Man, that I is I was afraid oh, I God, heard that scream. Oh, it's 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 really, 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 really good. I mean the lamb is just I mean, it's so tender. It's just falling apart. This would be a great recipe with a lamb shank, too. Technically, it's, it's supposed to be with a, with a lamb shank with a with a leg of lamb. Yeah. Okay, I can see that because this because leg of lamb wants that braise. This is the best I could do in Little Rock. Hey, no, uh, well, I didn't we, know we'll talk. Going. We'll talk about that. We can okay. talk about that off air. But must, must be traders. No, actually. Oh. Uh, okay. But. It's really good. The lamb falls apart. You have that really rich tomatoey, like it's been cooked for. I mean, it, it has been cooked for hours. Mm-hmm. But it. I want you to taste it before I talk about the pairing because that's just the lamb. Like that's just the lamb itself. It has such good flavor to it. It's falling out like it's, you just put your fork into it and lightly pull it off the bone. The rich, developy with the. That extra kind of earthiness of the lamb. Man, like, that is good. <sighs> I'm going to steal this recipe, by the way. And I'm definitely going to do it with a, a lamb shank or a boneless leg of lamb. Because that's, oh, as we're getting into cooler weather around here, if I can make some Persian rice with that. Oh, okay, I've got a whole meal planned. Man, that's delicious. Would said put the sauce over potatoes, but I didn't. Have time to do potatoes. Yeah, see, I'd like to have like some Persian rice next to this. Exactly. That saffron. Jasmine, oh. Jet, oh yeah, your Persian rice your Persian with the tali, crunch, yeah. crunchy. Yeah, some with some tali. That beer is perfect. Yeah, I mean that's so freaking delicious. Okay, best known for <laughs> Yeah, I mean there's 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 no competition today. Now, did you for try me. any of the olives? I don't. Rice? I don't like olives. Okay, you know this. Well, so that works well too. Talk about. Be more descriptive, as I'm eating more lamb, about how the wine paired with the lamb. Hmm. So that meatiness, and it's kind of got that earthy, because you, you know, you braised it, you've got the veggies in there that have sautéed, which kind of gives them an earthy, and then you taste that wine with it, so it's that red fruit, but it's that you know, that that tar and anise or whatever else you're tasting just layers over the top of it. And it's one of those that's almost made in heaven. What do you think? I mean, so for me, you know, that richness of the food gives the wine that extra depth and richness mm-hmm. that it, you know, kind of is missing. So when I, when I think of it in like musical terms, you know, the the wine is, it's a high hand chord. It's, you know, it sits up pretty high. Everything, you know, everything's there. Has a little bit of that undertone to round it out. But this lamb is that low matching chord. Mm. That when you play both of them together, you almost have that resonant ringing that gives you something brand new as well as the two together. Because, like, everything in that dish goes well with everything in that wine. The... 
So the, acidi- the meat. So the acidity of the wine goes with the sweetness. With the sweetness, with sweetness of the tomatoes, the exactly. stewed, the stewed cooked exactly. tomatoes, the earthy kind of fattiness of the meat goes with the tannins in the the earthiness of the wine, and the the fruit, the fruit and the floralness of the wine goes with that tomato and the veg and the herbs that are in there. Now, did you put any herbs in there? Yes. Thyme, rosemary, yes. sage. No sage. No sage. Thyme and rosemary. Yeah. It could do with some more thyme. Just to. Well, I put, put in all I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, it, and uh, unfortunately, I found it in the back of the, of the drawer and it was sort of dried out. But that, that herbiness would, would go really well. And like if you had some fresh thyme and you would have done like some, a little bouquet. Maybe even some basil or something. Well, that's why I said sage. Sage has that like earthy. Yeah, sage is really earthy. That earthy kind of tone, which I think would go really well. And sage, oh, yeah. and, sage and lamb go well together. That's or right. even if you wanted to twist it up a little bit, some mint. I didn't think of that. <clears throat> I wouldn't do basil, but mint possibly. Uh, but it, it, Next time we'll it, use the sage because I think goes, you're right about that. It just goes really, really well. I'm, I'm definitely gonna. You're gonna have to send me that recipe because I'm going. I'm going to steal it. Okay, it's uh, on the world wide web. Well, yeah, that's. But you know how hard sometimes it can be to find stuff. Exactly. So, okay, that was enlightening and delicious. I'm also gonna. I'm saving some of my lamb so that I can try it with the Rosso di Montalcino because I have a feeling it's gonna go well there too. So this. Uh... Co-op. This isn't the only wine they make. They make a lot of different wines depending on the year. Yeah. They're like, I don't know, there's like five or six here. And there's nine single crews. So it could be that they had nine different different wines. Yeah. So going down to the crew level isn't quite as common in Italy as a lot of people think. But in Barolo and Barbaresco, sometimes they'll do uh, vineyard-specific wines. Yeah, okay. Which may be what they, they may be calling it a crew in what you're reading. Okay. I think that's right. But that's exciting. And I don't know that we could find any of them on this one. <laughs> I month. doubt we could. Right. Well, anything else you want to tell us about, about yours before no, we switch I over think, to mine? I think it's a great wine. It's I once a little bit on the elevated side. You know, but if you can catch it on that sale, but it's good. It, I, it's well, it's worth really it. It's not an everyday wine, but it's so definitely. I don't know if it's. Well, yeah, it is. It's definitely worth it. Well, it's it's twice as good as that one we had last night. Yeah, and that's about the price point difference. Right. So I would I would say so. It's not an everyday wine. It's mm-hmm. an it's an occasion wine. Mm-hmm. Unless you just have a lot more money than us, which is fine. And you, if you buy it every day, I would love to be your friend so I can come drink it with you. Mm-hmm. And I'll bring the lamb dish <laughs> right. or some sort, of, some sort of stewed meat dish and we'll, uh, we'll get into it. But, it, it, but it, definitely, it definitely is delicious. And it is, I will say, it is better with food than it is just by itself. Not that it's bad by itself. <clears throat> right. Yeah, this lamb dish that's so turned good. out better than I thought. Yeah, that's that's you need to keep that recipe hanging around. All right, so let's switch over to my wine. You ready? Mm-hmm. So again, mine is the 
Tinuete, Salvino Navarro, no, sorry, Navardi, Rosso de Montecino. There's a lot of words together. So Tinturi Salvato Navardi is the name of the producer. And the Rosso de Montecino is the, the delineation of the wine. So Italy, like a lot of places in Europe, are region on the wine label are regional. So you kind of have to know what grows where mm-hmm. to understand the label. Uh, so no, you, nowhere on that label, except, well, in the back label where it talks right. about the wine, does it say Nebbiolo on yours? On mine. On yours. Right, right. And nowhere on mine does it say Sangiovese. But being in Rosso de Montecino, if you know it's 100%, to have that designation, it's 100% Sangiovese. So now where do I look in Italy for your wine? So Montecino is, it is 68 miles from Siena. It's, I'm sorry, it's 26 miles outside of Siena in Tuscany. It's 68 miles from Florence. And it's 93 miles from Pisa. It's in the Tuscan Hills. So north. Uh, nor- north compared to what? Pisa. No, no. It's south of Pisa. Oh, so we're not going there. Well, no, you guys aren't going out to Siena. So if I'm not mistaken, Siena is east of Florence. Okay. No. Yes, it's east of Florence. Pisa is northeast is northwest of Florence. Mm-hmm. And so this is just outside of <clears throat> it's outside of Siena. You know, about you know, twenty six miles. In the hills. So Mont Monta is mountain. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gives you an idea. It is uh, Multicino, like I said, back in the day was known for its leather trade. Kind of dipped off a little bit. And, you know, talking about the Medici's. So it's interesting you said that because I just took a little sip. Yeah. Leather. I mean, it's... It, well, it's yes. Yes. It is extremely different it, than the wine we just had. Well, yeah. It's, it's not <laughs> fruit forward. It's not the roses. But I, I got a little leather with right. mine. But way back there, this is leather Tusc- forward. Tuscan <laughs> wine is going to have a lot more of that earthy, leathery tones. Now, the... I don't know. The tannins are medium, whereas mine was probably medium plus. Yeah. Well, so Multicino, like I was saying, you know, they were under the... Uh, not Sicilian. Um, the Siennan rule, and when Siena fell to the Medici's in 1555, Multicino held out for another four years oh, okay. before getting taken over by the Medici's. And then it was under Tuscan, under Tuscan rule until 1861 when, with the unification of, of Italy. The, the region is known for a wine called Barolo. Mm-hmm. No, not Barolo. Bernello. Brunello de Montecino. <clears throat> not Brunello. Yeah, not Brunello. Brunello de Montecino is kind of the big boy. And in Italian classifications, the top level of classification is called is the DOCG. It is Dimoniazione di Controle di Gratinia. Gra, Garantinia. Mm. So it's... So below you have DOC, below DOCG you have DOC. Okay. So Diaz, Diazione di Controle or Controlatate. 
and what it what you know basically it's regions of control is DOC mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. DOCG is regions of control and guarantee okay. so the DOCG is the top level and it's kind of guaranteed by the government to have to be that level and it was just you know extra restrictions and those those sorts of things so Brunello is the DOCG Rosso is the DOC Okay. So you can have, sometimes you can have producers that will make Rosso's and Brunello's. Actually, most of the time they do. If they have a bad year of Brunello, they can declassify it and make it a Rosso. Oh. Or if they need the money, they can declassify it and make it a Rosso. As long as it follows the rules of a Rosso di Montalcino. Which, if you're making a Brunello, you're going to follow the rules of Rosso. Mm. But like I said, this is 100% Sangiovese. Uh, my snacks that I've got going, I've got some Bersola. I have some duck ham. I have a pull-apart bread that has brie, Emmentaler, and mozzarella. And then I have the pizza party sausage, which has some dried tomato, pepperoni, uh, mozzarella, and then, you know, normal pork sausage. Okay. Any order? No, order? and I've already seen you've been going at it. So what, well, do you, I, what I, have you been tasting so far? The, I tried the uh, air-dried beef, and it went very well. So this wine is a 2015, and it's showing what's called bricking in the color. What's that? So when you look at the color, and you look on like a white sheet of paper, mm-hmm. get your white, mm-hmm. get that white sheet of paper for you to look at. And if you look at the edge, the edge is starting to turn orange. Oh yeah. So so as a as a blind taster, that can let you know a couple things. It can let you know that aging has been happening either for the wine itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, pre going in the bottle or even after going in the bottle. So this is a 2015. So we're talking. We're at six years old here. Hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, mine was 2017, and it didn't. It didn't show that that well, breaking. And I think it could have. We could have sat that up for five more years, probably. Yeah. And so, so we can see that. Well, one of the things that happens with with these wines is they have to age in oak legally. Rosso's de Montalcino. French oak's okay. So, no. It just, well, yes, it's okay, but it just says oak. Okay. The, the mm-hmm. law just says oak. Right. And this, the winery here, they do a couple different types of oak, and they don't talk about it depending on the wine and mm-hmm. the vintage that comes out, but they do at least six months because six months is the requirement for a Rosso. Okay. A Bernello, on the other hand, is required to age an oak for two years. Okay. So that's what I'm talking about. If you're doing Brunello, mm-hmm. you have you can have a Rosso. Yeah, just get it out of the barrel. Right. And, but then it also has to age in bottle before it comes out. Three so years. Rosos have to age for at least another six months. Mm-hmm. So it has to have six months in oak and then at least a year before it's released. Okay. Is the way the law is written. And then a Brunello has to age at least two years in oak and then has to be, and I've seen conflicting, so I, I haven't got to the Italian law yet, but either four or five years after harvest is when it can be released. Oh, wow. So, there ha- so there's, there's aging that goes along with this because they're trying, they're trying to make a more elegant, mm-hmm. stylized wine. So what are you tasting in this wine as you're tasting into it? Well, like I told you about the, the leather. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of fruit. No, this is a very earth-driven wine. 
So I, I get you. I get that leather. I get some some even some like tariness on it. Right. There's desiccated, des- like desiccated flowers. Uh-huh. Some like that super bitter. I'm getting like something super bitter, like maybe super bitter chocolate so, or. So I'm getting like some white pepper notes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the. Where's that bitter chocolate we had last week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or not last week, but two weeks ago. Right. That would probably go really well. Yeah. I'm also getting month. some like savory herbs in this mm-hmm. when I'm smelling it. Now, are you saying barnyard too? I'm not getting a whole lot of barnyard on the nose. On the palate, I'm getting more of that earthy, barney mm-hmm. kind of flavor. Nose, right. Not really on the nose, but it's de- it's de- more prevalent on the palate. Still getting those yummy, savory herbs. Very earth-driven and the desiccated flowers. And and you said the price point of this one's like 30 30 Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rosos are about usually about half the price. Right. Of Brunellos. Uh-huh. So Brunellos are going to run you 60 to $80 any, wow. all day long. Just like the Barbarescos <laughs> and, run up there. And so the nickname for this is a, is a baby Brunello. Oh. Okay. Because it's, it's the, <laughs> it's, so it's the same processes and everything. It's just lessened so they can get it to market a little bit faster. So what have you been snacking on over there? Oh, the duck ham. Yeah. How does it Duck how does is it in the pair? house again. Well, the duck ham doesn't go as well in my mind as the dried beef does. Okay, what does the what does the duck do though? It's got that sweetness that duck ham has, but the the wine doesn't have that sweetness to mate with it. It has that, like you said, the asphalt, the leather; those things are just not really sweet, right? And so, the duck ham. And this wine's almost like a contrast, but yeah. still, it's a it's a good pairing from that standpoint of, you know, it's not it's not sour and you know terrible. Yeah, it's just kind of like the wine's running over, running yeah, over the, the duck. Yeah, the wine does step over it. Mm-hmm. Now, get ready to try that pizza party. Yeah, it was one of those uh, was one of those things. I was in ham. I was waiting on them to slice my duck ham, and I saw it. I saw it in the case and was like, I mean, you know, we're doing Italy, we're doing pizza, and I know this this wine goes really, really well with meat. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at sausages, and I saw that, and I asked the guy, and he's like, you know, we put chop up oye pepperoni, some you know super dried tomatoey stuff in there, some. Yeah. cheese and I was like you know what I'll give it a try I tasted it it was pretty good doesn't really taste like a pizza but no. it's almost like if you took the toppings from a meat lover's pizza yeah and just ate those together oh okay <laughs> well when we were pizza party sausage reminds me when uh Joanne and I went to Norway she you know she was an exchange student in Norway and we went back I say we. She went back. She took me with her, like ten years after. You know, it's like in the eighties somewhere. Anyway, and they made us a pizza, and it was poser pizza. Posers like hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joanne, I was asking her the other day about that, and she she told me that she made pizza. As an exchange student, but it's like 
you can't get the exact ingredients that you're used to. Mm-hmm. Well, like in any foreign country. Right. You get some ingredients that are close. Yeah. And then you, you know, you make the piece of dough and, right. and you get the sauce the best you can. And maybe it's tomato paste instead of sauce. <laughs> and then you do whatever. And it's a pizza that it's not, you're not real proud of it. And then mm-hmm. they look at it and go, uh-huh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that Bersola goes really, really well with this wine. The really rich beefiness mm-hmm. of the Rosola, the extra earth, the kind of you know, the salinity from being dry aged goes really, really well. And so I bought this before I had done a whole lot of research on the on the actual like company, mm-hmm. the the group that made this wine. And lo and behold, when I go to their website, one of their pictures has their glass of Brunello sitting next to a big, long thing of Bersola. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, I did good there. But it, it, it adds that richness and that depth. Josh that, has done so many pairings that he doesn't hardly have to look at the web. Well. He just says, I think this will go good. And then he checks himself, looks at the web, and there it is. <laughs> well, I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, this is, you know, what the... Um, eight eighth year that I've been doing wine and pairing oh, yeah. stuff. So, you know, you learn the rules. Well, and this is the six or six episode right here. So subtract out the. Well, you started doing doing food with uh, cocktails. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, going and then always, going back to my days of working at Crush and mm-hmm. doing that stuff. You know, you learn the rules and you learn how to break the rules. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of you kind of understand. And then you know, we talked about. What grows together goes together. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things Tuscany's known for, and we talked about this last night, is beefsteak of Florentina, mm-hmm. which is beef. Mm-hmm. Like big, big beef. So I knew beef and this wine would, would just love each other. So explain that, Josh. So You kind of got our, our listeners <laughs> hanging. Okay, We so, talked about this last night. Uh, never mind. Well, <laughs> so mom and dad, mom and dad are going to Italy. One of the places they're going is Florence. And for those of you who are longtime listeners know that I spent a semester in Florence. And not, mo- not drinking. No, not drinking because I was at a school where I couldn't. Mm-hmm. But mom was talking last night. She goes, oh, Josh, do you know that, you know, past- it's not a pasta dish that Florence is known for? And I go, yeah, it's beef. It's steak. And she goes, yeah. Beef steak, Florent, beef steak of Florentina. And I was like, yeah, I, n- I know exactly what you're talking about because, you know, Tuscany is a, Tuscany is a very agricultural driven area. And when we're talking about Tuscany, there's another region that's right next to it called Emilio Romagna. And most people don't know Emilio Romagna, but they know Carino Romano. Mm. They know Parmigiano Reggiano, mm-hmm. which are made from milk, mm-hmm. which are made from cow's milk. So there are cows all over this region, and we talked, and I talked about it here about Multicino being known for being a leather maker, and leather comes from cowhide. So there's a lot of cows in the area, and I like it's one of those things. Like when you start learning about all this stuff and you start understanding, then you know you just know what what mm-hmm. what's there is going to go what's going to go really well, 
And, you know, so I was like, oh, yeah, you guys should watch this Chef's Table episode about a... Right. You uh, said that too, man. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. it's in the, You know, it's an hour. If you've never watched Chef's Table, if you're a foodie and you've never watched Chef's Table, you need to get on Netflix and watch Chef's mm-hmm. Table. Beautifully shot and everything. But they have an episode about a, about a Tuscan chef who is all about beefsteak. Beefsteak Florentino. Mm-hmm. And he... I mean, he loves it. He lives in everything. But when I was thinking about what would go well with this wine, that's kind of why I got with this. I almost had some of that leftover steak from last night. No. Almost, but I didn't think it'd have enough fat. But, so that's kind of that's kind of where that came from. Well, go into more detail like you did last night. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> how they do that steak. Well, okay. Because so, I thought that was so fascinating. So, beef steak of Florentina is, it is a specific cut of beef we here call the por- the porterhouse cut but here in the united states we're used to very trim porterhouses you know there's not a whole lot of fat that's uh, you know they kind of cut out cut off the the tenderloin which for those of you who may not know this a porterhouse or a t-bone is a filet mignon on one side on the small side and on mm-hmm. the other side it's a new york strip mm-hmm and so when you put them together in the in the anatomy of the cow, there's a there's the vertebrae, which is a T-bone, in the middle, and that's where the the name for the T-bone comes from. And so it's a porterhouse cut, and rather than saying in inches, they talk about cutting it in fingers. So a beefsteak Florentina is three is a three finger thick cut porterhouse. Not trimmed, so you still have the nice little, like, little bit of extra belly fat that comes mm-hmm. on, a, on a New York strip. And they cook it mostly over like a coal fire or like open flame grill kind of style. And it's cooked rare or blue mm-hmm. because they, they want to highlight this cow and the, the, the taste that it has. And it just it goes so well with, with Tuscan wine. So they're eating it, and that cow's almost still mooing. It's almost mooing. So if you if you ever heard a blue steak, which is what's kind of under rare, mm-hmm. some people consider it still raw. It's actually not, and it's safe to eat. That's that's the level of cooking we're talking now. I it's never like the tartar that you get. <laughs> it's not yet. Yeah, well, it's not quite not to quite. that tartar level because you know it's cooked with acid a little, a little bit, but. So I never ordered it when I was in Italy because back then I was a medium all day long steak eater. And they told us that if you're going to order beefsteak Florentina, just know it's going to come out really rare and don't ask for a a different temperature. This is rude. Right. And so I never ordered it when I was over there. If I were to go back now, I would probably order it because I do eat my steak a little bit more rare. Yeah. Nowadays than I do than I did when I was in college. That's like that place my dad went to. Forget the name of it. I think it was in uh, Phoenix. And if you order your steak, well done. They'll be happy to cook it for you, but first they'll cut your tie off. That was in. These are in the days when everybody, all the men, wore ties. And then, when it's time for your steak to come out, here comes this old boot <laughs> <laughs> and you look at it and they go what and then they finally bring you this old steak that 
they would never eat like that. Well, there was a place in was a place in Colorado that did that. Yeah. I'm right guessing there, it was the same it was, chain. It, it was, I think, the same chain. Yes, it was in Denver. You got your tie cut once. Intentionally. I know. <laughs> that was a tie I didn't want to wear anyway, but I wore it just so they could cut it off. <laughs> and then they, like, hang it on the wall. Yeah. And then when they got it cut off, I said, I want to change my order. Medium rare. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did the... Ooh, this wine's good. And that yeah, you're that, way ahead of me. <laughs> that that pizza sausage, like you said, it's not really pizza sauce, but it's got so many flavors in there. Yeah, that really goes so well with this wine. I've been I've been eating and drinking while you've been talking. I know you're almost of, you're almost done of, with you're almost done with your second pour, and I haven't even got a well. <laughs> help me no, out. Then. No, no. <laughs> Drink some more of your Barbaresco. Okay. <laughs> I bet it goes well with that. So with too. that with that last little bit before you drink it. Okay. And I don't want you to say anything until I get a chance to try it, but I want you to try it with the lamb. Oh. I'm sure. <clears throat> I want I'm, you to try it with a lamb. Josh, I'm sure that goes well. Well, and so so Rosa de Montecino is is to me, it's one of the biggest expressions of Sangiovese that's out there. So when we're talking Tuscany, we're talking Sangiovese as kind of your main grape. Now, there was a big push in the late eight, mid to late 80s and the early 90s of what are called Super Tuscan. Mm-hmm. Super Tuscans are non-designated wines that come from Tuscany that don't have anything to do with Italian wine heritage. Mm-hmm. We're talking like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot. Mm-hmm. So basically, this was, you know, back when Chianti had a bad name. And, you know, they were trying to figure out something new to <laughs> to uh, <laughs> bring them, to bring them customers because they knew that they needed to sell their grapes. And so they ripped up Sangiovese and they, they put in Cabernet and Merlot and a lot of these French varietals and made these non-IGT non-designated wines called Super Tuscans. And so this is a real buck against it. And this is one of the things that I love about, like, some of these Italian wines because they stay true to what they've been doing for years. And I really, really so enjoy So the it. Super Tuscans were not true to form? No. Because they were Cabernet, like, Cabernet Sauvignon, like, yeah, they, they Napa did, Valley. Or... They, did not, they did not fit the mold of what Chianti Okay. Well, Chianti, basically, what Chianti was, which is a majority of eighty percent Sangiovese. So they would, they try to fill it out and make it these big bold wines that the American big market wanted, and we can charge a high dollar for it because yeah. it tastes like some of these high dollar wines that you want. Exactly. And you know, Super Tuscans have their place, right? But if I'm going to drink Italian wine and I'm going to eat Italian food with it, I'm going to go. I'm not going to pull a Super Tuscan. I'm going to pull a good Chianti or a Chianti Classico or a Rosso de Montalcino. Or if I'm having a special event, I'm going to, I'm going to order a bottle of Barolo or order a bottle of Barbaresco because they are, in my opinion, they are extremely worth it. And I, I, I found this, I figured this out around the time that I started this podcast. Italian wine are, Italian wines are some of my favorite wines out there, but I had neglected them. Because it wasn't <clears throat> the wines that a lot of wine people drank. 
Well, no. Because it's like, eh, it's Italy. You know, there's so many synonyms for grapes. They're no. having issues with their production. And, this Napa wine is so good, y'all. Well, and it was, you know, what sold and what's in the restaurants. And I'm like, you know, this Italy's where I started. So Italy has a, it's always going to have a super big hold it on is. my heart yeah. when it comes to wine. But these wines are so stinking good. And I mean, if people don't want to drink them and it's going to drive the price down, I'm totally okay with that. Can we please forget about Beaujolais while we're at it? <laughs> Drop those prices back down. But this wine is just this is so great. And you're right. It goes so well with that pizza. Well, the spiciness of the pepperoni. And I haven't gotten to the lamb yet, so chill out. <laughs> the spiciness of that pepperoni and that, the, that tomato goes really well. So tell me about what you're, which, what you've been liking so far. Well, I was going to talk about the lamb, but I won't because you shown me. So, I th- just because I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> okay, well, you try it and with your wine, but we've already said multiple times that your wine is looking for meat, and my wine is actually looking for meat. Both of these, even though both of these, you could just sit on the front porch, the back porch, the whatever porch, yeah, and just sip along because you don't have to have food with it. But because it's but 14 and a half percent, you probably do want but, food with it. But also Italian Italians don't just really drink. They drink and eat. Mm-hmm. So they all their stuff their wine is made to be with food. Mm-hmm. Like it's designed to be with food. And Except for Super a, Tuscans. And this is a two-hour event. At minimum. Right. But no, your oh, your wine went very well with that lamb as well. Yeah, it did. So tell me about the wine and the, the this wine and the lamb. Well, my wine and the lamb seem to have sweetness going on. Your wine and the lamb had earthiness. And that that leatheriness, the lamb doesn't really necessarily have earthy to it, but the way I cooked it, I think it does. Well, and I would say I would say it's that the lamb's not really gamey, but that gamey, not beef or chicken or pork. Exactly, gamey lamb quality. Has a, lamb has a different taste. Right. And it's like some people just don't like lamb. That's not something they're going to order. Right. But somebody like me, I go to a restaurant, well, they got lamb. Okay. So, uh, may I have the lamb, please? Yeah. May I have this Tuscany <laughs> Barbaresco to go with it? Yeah. Or, or whatever? Yeah. You know, Tuscan wines go well with game. Mm-hmm. I you know there's there's something about that earthy like you said that earthy quality that that lamb has that richness that depth that gaminess can add that goes that matches really well with high end Tuscan wines that are done in kind of more of the traditional style like we had when I was working in Montana in our on our Corvin program we had a wine called Chingale which chingale means boar, mm-hmm. a wild boar. And it was a Tuscan blend that 
I mean, it had that depth and that earthiness and just that little bit of fruity quality that rounded it out. And it was one of the dishes that I was like, oh, you're getting the Brussels. There are fried Brussels sprouts and you want a red wine? Try this Chingale because mm-hmm. that depthy and that burniness that 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 goes so well. And I think this wine, this Rosa de Montalcino, would be really good with deer or elk. Even rabbit. I I, I think even rabbit. Uh, yeah. So I uh, you know I'm not so sure about squirrels, but rabbit right. for sure. But our hunters out a, there a good rabbit stew, you know, uh, a deer stew. Mm-hmm. Chili yeah. chili came up as something that Rosa de Montalcinos would go well with. So as we're heading into cold weather mm-hmm. and you're getting those stews and those sorts of things, think of these wines because they they have that depth to match. That's right. To match those where if you were to do your own little comparison and try something like this with something from more the new world that has that you know, more fruit forward, more, mm-hmm. more fruit driven, mm-hmm. even like a higher end one, like the canvas back that we had a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. when we did Washington, I would go, well, this has that earth, that depth and that undertone to really carry up mm-hmm. and carry through those dishes. And also because, you know, those are some of the dishes that are this, these regions are known for. Mm-hmm. We're talking about hardy stock people. Florence and Siena are probably the two biggest cities in Tuscany, and they're not very big cities when it comes to Europe. Right. In Alba, Moscato, well, no, I don't think Moscato's a city, but the city, the largest city in Alba, where the Barbaresco is produced, is not going to be a big city. No. So we're talking, you know, hardworking folk that, you know, enjoy the wines of those big hearty mules. Of what comes from the land, and I just, you know, I just think it's, I, th- I think we need to, I think a lot of Americans need to give Italian a try again. I'm getting excited because straw bottle Chianti is not what this region, not what that country is about. No, when it comes to one. <laughs> now it's 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 a good starting point. It, it's a good because it's one of the places that I started, but it's not what the it's not what good good wine from this country is about. Yeah, yeah. I know you're getting excited. I'm excited for you because you, I'm, I'm jealous that you guys are going to go up to Prosecco and you're going to go over to Alba and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm very jealous because that's, that's one part of the country that I'm. Well, make a list of what wines I should ship back. Any one that you like that we can't get here. <laughs> really? <laughs> And ship exactly. it to my house, and I'll tell you which ones accidentally broke along the way and which ones didn't. Mm. But I think, you know, we've jabbered along enough, and I think it's time for the blind. What do you think? Best on plate. Oh, okay. Best on plate with mine was the Brasola. I think the Brasola was the best. The pizza sausage was good, mm-hmm. but the Brasola was mm-hmm. better. What do you think? I think we're doing the same thing. I love that. That pizza, <laughs> that was really. It's weird, but it's good. <laughs> it's weird, but I'd have to make a pizza and just put that on there and remind me of that pulsar pizza in Norway. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that that air dried beef is excellent. And I mean, we're gonna do the same same because yours was the lamb, ching ching. Yeah, I mean, 
That was a lot of work. It's like three hours. But a couple hours you're not doing anything. Well, that's right, but I'm thinking about what else I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the best. That was that was amazing. And if I'd had the lamb shank. I, I mean it would have been, been I think it'd been better. But maybe. No, that's that's the best lamb I've had in a long time. Right there. Mm-hmm. So we matched up. Yeah, and there was like everything was good. There wasn't really anything that was bad. Mm-mm. The only thing that wasn't that was disappointing to me was the duck, because of how the wine exactly. just it just steamrolled the duck. That's unusual because duck usually when it's on the it's on the plate. Yeah, but I think I think it was the hamming process that kind of didn't work well with that particular wine. Right, and it was if it had if they'd done some spices with it. Now, I've that's had, not how they do it, though. They've done duck prosciutto before. Oh. And if it would have been duck prosciutto, it would have been lights out. Oh, it would have. It could have. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get the blind poured up. All right. Here we go. All right. We got the blind poured up, and I will uh, go ahead and start tasting through it. Do you have tasting notes? Well, I, I'm using the same sheet that I've been using, uh, which is developed by a former boss of mine, Jennifer Henderickson, who is now the Director of Learning and Education at Domain Serene in Oregon. Here we go. This wine is a red wine. There's no real evidence of gas or sediment. It is kind of a deeper purple that goes out to a magenta watery meniscus. And... I don't see any staining. Not really any staining that I can tell. Yeah, no. Well, there's some there's some light staining of the kind of medium viscous tears. On the nose, it's a clean wine. Kind of moderate intensity it is youthful. It comes out and jumps and hits you with some violet. Mm. And kind of it smells a little kind of, kind of purpley. So you're getting kind of some of that. Some of those kind of darker, kind of purpley fruits. So definitely some of those like cassises, almost blackberry or very, very cooked, very, very cooked red fruits. Even some like maybe like black cherry. But definitely, definitely a lot of florality on this. Not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of earthiness. There's a little bit of woodiness to it. Um, there's some little bit. A kind of spiciness back there, but when I'm saying spicy, I'm talking like baking spices, just some like mold wine kind of stuff going on way back there. So it's a clean wine on the palate. It's kind of in the lighter bodied, a little bit rounder texture. Acid is medium. Alcohol is kind of medium plus. Tannins are prevalent, but not too much. So medium, medium plus. No real kind of, um, there's definitely still all that kind of florality that I talked about, like really bright, fresh flowers. A little bit more tannin than I initially say. The tans are medium plus, definitely, all the way. Um, Not as much as the Barbaresco. It's a different kind of tannin. I know. So it's more up on my gum line, Mm. whereas the other, like the Barbaresco was kind of more on my teeth. Right. Definitely florality on this one. There is some 
fruit, you know, kind of that florality and that flute fruit is just jumping forward. Presenting a little bit more of like red cooked red fruit on the palate, cooked strawberries, cooked cherries, almost a black cherry kind of level. Maybe some like fresh blackberries. Mm-hmm. Kind of there. It's definitely very youthful. There's still just that kind of light little bit of uh, baking spices. There's a little bit of oak usage. Not a whole lot of earthiness to this wine. Yeah, no lot of not a whole lot of earthiness or minerality to it. Any barnyard? No. I'm not getting any. Um so because of that being fruit forward and everything, I'm gonna go with this is a new world a new world wine from a moderate climate. Mm. Possible grapes. We're talking about Merlot, Malbec, maybe Syrah. Um, possible countries, we're talking about Argentina, United States, um, even into Australia. So what makes you think New World instead of Old World? It's the fruit is so prevalent and there's a lack of earth. Okay. And I mean, with those tannins being so high, that's kind of why I'm thinking those those grapes. Mm-hmm. Kind of take a couple of tastes and we'll go and get into what this what I think it is. It's a good wine. It's good. Mm-hmm. I think it goes good with that pizza broth. <laughs> I just tried it. Yeah. I think this is a Malbec from Argentina. I think if we're going to go down, I'm going to say it's from Mendoza. And I think it's pretty young. So we're looking probably since South America, the 20s are out. So we may be looking 18 or 2018 or 2019. A lot of that florality is kind of what's making me think of it. Okay. Going to uh, to be a Malbec. And, well, Dad, you're going to have to write the answer down in an envelope and seal it up for uh, for next week. Well, I'm nervous about writing that up because <laughs> I think next week, aren't you having Dave and the boys over again? No, not next week. So next week oh, is a, a beer, beer week. week. That's right. They're they're coming for a They're coming liquor. for a liquor podcast while you're gone. Well, no. maybe Jordan can read my <laughs> writing. But no, next week uh, is going to be a beer week. And like Dad just alluded to, I'm going to have Jordan on. And I may have another friend. I may be able to twist his arm to get him on, get him on an episode. But who is that? Will. Uh, one of our listeners, Will. Uh, I'm very excited, though, about next week because it's one of my favorite beer topics of the uh, entire year. Oktoberfest. Yes. We are heading into Oktoberfest season. It is in full swing as we are recording this. So next week, we're going to be recording an Oktoberfest episode. So if we don't come back on time, it's like we're in Germany. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just I I figured it would be something like that. I don't like think that. so. But... <laughs> So next week is a is beer week. We're going to be doing Oktoberfest. And since I'm going to have a couple extra people on, we're not quite sure exactly what Oktoberfest we're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably we'll be doing a mix of both American and German Oktoberfest. Because some of the German Oktoberfests have been hard to get here in Arkansas recently. They have been. So we're going to kind of we're going to kind of play that by ear. So be watching the our social so Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To see what we're going to be doing. Remember, we are at Acquired Tastings on those platforms. 
And if you like what we're doing, give us a like, a follow, give us a bunch of five, give us a bunch of stars, give us a review out there on in podcast land on your favorite podcast platform. We love to hear from you guys. We love to see those coming in. We'd love to hear from you if you feel like, you know, at this point going quote old school and sending us an email. We are acquired tastings at gmail.com. And dad, are you excited about going to Italy oh, I'm now? I'm very excited. Oh, yes. <laughs> I got to get packing. I mean, tomorrow, after, I got to get packing. After three weeks, after three podcast weeks of Italy, I'm sure you are I'm ready to go. to go. Ready to go. Well, I hope you have a wonderful trip, and I know you're going to enjoy it, and I hope you bring back some great stuff. I hope so, too. You know, I don't have your... Uh your wine case i know it's a little it's a little that's a little b-i-t-c-h to travel with hopefully we can just go do a wine tasting and say please ship this to my home (laughs) tell them it's olive oil and once again i'm josh mills (laughs) and i'm john mills and we'll see you next time thank you and goodbye